Ace is the only national retailer that carries Benjamin Moore paint, which means the paint you trust and a huge selection of colors are right in your neighborhood. And this Saturday only, you can pick up a free sample of Benjamin Moore at your local Ace. It's a great way to explore quality colors and find the perfect one for your place. So if you're looking for award-winning service and a new look for your home, look no further than Benjamin Moore paint at Ace. Offer valid August 1st for Ace Rewards members. Limit one at participating stores while supplies last. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. The buckets you buy at Ace hold paint, dirt, and debris. But our Children's Miracle Network buckets hold so much more, like dreams, hope, and care for children. Because over the last 29 years, with your help, Ace has raised over $125 million for local CMN hospitals. So stop by your local Ace this weekend to make a $5 donation and get a 5-gallon bucket plus 20% off almost anything that fits inside it. Offer valid on regular price merchandise. Additional exclusions apply. See store for details. We have an active shooter. We have an active shooter inside the warehouse. Welcome to Active Shooter, a podcast that covers the whys, the hows, and the aftermath of active shooter and mass casualty events. Active shooter reports of an active shooter, active shooter, active shooter of mass casualty incidents. Thank you for listening. You are listening to Active Shooter, a podcast that may contain adult themes, explicit language, and graphic depictions of violence. Portions of this show may be traumatic for those under 18. Listener discretion is advised. The fatal campus shooting in Alabama, but this time... The violent spree did not involve a student targeting classmates. No, this time the alleged gunman was a member of the faculty, one who may have just faced a professional setback. And this time, the suspect is a woman. It is a commonly known fact that most active shooter incidents are done by men. In fact, the FBI database of active shooter incidents states that between 2000 and 2016, A mere 6 out of 160 active shooter incidents were committed by women. The database defines an active shooter situation as when, quote, an individual actively engaged in killing or attempting to kill people in a confined and populated area. In today's episode, we will discuss a shooter who was a highly educated woman with a family of her own when she decided to take the lives of three of her colleagues. Active Shooter, the podcast, is a High Five Holly production, and I'm your host, JT. If you've listened to our prior episodes, you know that the Active Shooter podcast team has taken the No Notoriety Pledge, and we will not be sharing the real name of the shooters that we cover. We will be giving the shooters a pseudonym and refer to them by that name throughout the episode. This will help in clearing up any confusion in the story while remaining true to our pledge in not naming the shooter by their actual name. In today's episode, 
we will refer to the shooter as Nicole. February 12th, 2010 was like any other day for Nicole's students at the University of Alabama, Huntsville campus. Nicole was teaching two classes that day, anatomy and neuroscience. As students sat at their desks waiting for Nicole to arrive, they noticed something odd. It was after the time class was supposed to start, and Nicole was never late. Not even a minute. A few minutes later, Nicole finally showed up. She seemed frantic and scatterbrained, even more so than usual. Students also noticed that she had a canvas handbag with her, which seemed odd since she's never carried a bag or purse with her before. It wasn't until later that day the students realized the reason she was carrying a bag with her. As Nicole started her lecture, students noticed that their professor was all over the place not sticking to the topic she was trying to teach, and going off on wild tangents that had nothing to do with the subject. After making it through both of her classes, Nicole headed to meeting room 369, which was located on the third floor of the Shelby Center for Science and Technology on the school's campus. She was supposed to meet with other biology professors to discuss the upcoming semester. The conference room was very small, narrow, and had no windows. The other twelve or so professors sat around the oval table discussing various topics. Some of her co-workers thought it was odd that Nicole was even there. They weren't expecting her to show because they knew Nicole didn't receive tenure and wouldn't be teaching next semester. She wasn't necessarily expected to be at that meeting, and there was some surprise that she was there. So, in a way, she's sitting there watching the world kind of move on without her. Tenure is defined as when a professor or teacher is granted permanent employment at a university or school after a certain number of years. It usually protects the person from being fired without cause. It's the battle for tenure. Only somebody who's been intimately involved with that fight understands. The tough, long, hard battle. About 45 minutes into the meeting, Nicole pulled a Ruger P-95 handgun from the canvas bag. She stood up and started shooting her co-workers on the opposite side of the oval table, striking each of them in the head, execution style. The professors on the same side of the table as her dove under for cover. Nicole was standing in front of the door, which was the only exit, and the room was so small the others had nowhere to go except under the table. One professor, Deborah Moriarty, who was a confidant of Nicole at one point in time, tried to reason with her, pleading with her to please not shoot her. She just became a grandmother. She begged Nicole to please think of her new grandson. Nicole, unfazed by Deborah's pleas, aimed at Deborah's head and pulled the trigger. Knowing she was going to die, she closed her eyes and prepared for the worst. Deborah didn't hear a gunshot, though. All she heard was a click. She opened her eyes and saw Nicole looking at the gun, puzzled, not knowing what happened to her firearm. Deborah didn't know if the gun ran out of bullets 
or if it jammed, but she knew she needed to do something, and fast. She started crawling backwards out the doorway, causing Nicole to follow her. Nicole continued to point the firearm at Deborah and pull the trigger. Click. 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 She stepped out into the hall and pointed the gun at me um, and pulled the trigger, and um, it clicked, and um, it clicked again. As soon as Deborah had Nicole outside of the conference room, she decided to make a run for it and threw herself back into the conference room and quickly locked the door. The other professors in the room began to stack what little furniture there was, thereby barricading the door so Nicole couldn't get back in. Nicole killed three professors instantly while wounding three others. They all began to frantically call 911. Sometimes shortly before 4 p.m., a call was made from the Shelby Center for Science and Technology to the Huntsville Police Department. University Police, Huntsville Police Department responded, secured the building, uh, and they, they, they found the victims. Nicole hadn't thought this far ahead in her plan and didn't know what to do. She decided to walk down to a bathroom on the second floor and clean up a bit. She washed the gun off in the sink and put it, along with her pinstripe blazer, which was covered in blood, in the trash can, and covered both with toilet paper. Nicole then walked into a laboratory class that was in session and asked a student if she could borrow his cell phone to call her husband to come pick her up, which was something he frequently did. When her husband answered, Nicole said two words to him. I'm done. Then hung up the phone. Nicole knew that police would be arriving soon and was hoping that her husband would pick her up before they showed up. She walked down to the first floor and made her way towards the rear of the building and exited through a loading dock. What Nicole didn't know was that there were two police officers stationed right outside. The moment that we came across her, we detained her because we felt like she may have some involvement in it. Since the police had a description of the alleged shooter, as well as a name, they knew that Nicole was the one they were looking for. She was immediately placed into handcuffs and escorted to a waiting patrol car. Her husband showed up at the school just in time to see his handcuffed wife being put into the back seat. I pulled up to pick her up to go home. And I thought somebody had gone crazy at, at the uh, school. As the officer put Nicole into the vehicle, she began speaking to him, telling him that it wasn't her, and that they were still alive. It didn't happen. There's no way. What about the people who died? There's no way they're still alive. Email blasts and phone calls were sent out to all students and faculty, advising them there was an active shooter on campus and to shelter in place. They told us uh, that there had been a campus shooting and uh, just to remain indoors. The Huntsville SWAT team quickly swarmed the building, while a few members escorted EMTs to help the wounded. After Nicole was arrested, the SWAT team and other police officers spread out to search the building for any additional shooters or possible victims. I was sitting up in my dorm room, which is right next uh, to the building that it occurred in, and look outside my window and there's cop cars all over the place. The entire building quickly became a crime scene. In less than one minute, Nicole killed three of her fellow professors, 
wounding three more. No one knew, you know, exactly how many people were shot, how many people got injured, if anyone was killed yet. So no one knew what was going on. It was it was chaos. Dr. Gopi Padilla was born on September 14, 1957, in India. He is the youngest of four boys and always had a knack for all things science. Dr. Padilla studied biology, soil microbiology, and plant pathology at Narjuna University, where he earned a first-class degree and a master's degree. In 1982, he decided to move to the United States and attend Louisiana State University. While at LSU, he obtained another master's degree in plant pathology in 1983. In 1987, Dr. Padilla earned a Ph.D. in molecular biology from Indiana State University. After earning his Ph.D., he went on to Ohio State University, where he did postdoctoral research before taking a position at Michigan Technological University in 1990. At Michigan Tech, he joined the Department of Biological Sciences as an assistant professor. In 2002, he was elected chair of the Department of Biological Sciences at University of Alabama, Huntsville. Dr. Padilla also had a passion for culture and the arts. He died from a bullet that went through his chin, into his chest, and exited through his back. Dr. Padilla leaves behind a wife named Vani and two daughters, Bindu and Anila. Dr. Maria Raglan Davis was born on June 1, 1959, and died from a gunshot wound to the head. She was 50 years old. Dr. Davis was born in Detroit, Michigan. She received her undergraduate degree in chemical engineering from the University of Michigan and a master's degree in chemical engineering from North Carolina State University. Furthering her education, she completed a doctorate in biochemistry and plant biology. In the year 2000, she joined the team at University of Alabama, Huntsville. Her co-workers later said that Dr. Davis was one of the most promising faculty members and researchers and that the word fear was not in her vocabulary. She taught cell and developmental biology at the university. Dr. Davis was also known for her optimism, and she encouraged everyone to think outside the box, which was one of her favorite phrases, and she used it often. Her brother later commented that she had a take-charge personality. He stated that she loved teaching, research, and her family but she was also a little bit eccentric. She was stubborn and persistent, but had a sweet disposition and was approachable. What many people didn't know was that Dr. Davis was a breast cancer survivor. Dr. Adriel D. Johnson Sr. was killed from a gunshot wound to the head. He was 52 years old. Dr. Johnson was born on June 22, 1957 in Alabama where he eventually attended the Chambliss Children's House Elementary School and Tuskegee Institute High School. In 1979, he received a Bachelor of Arts degree from Washington University. In 1981, he received his Master of Science degree 
from Tennessee Technological University. He completed another Master of Science degree from University of Alabama Huntsville in 1986. In 1989, Dr. Johnson received a Doctorate of Philosophy from North Carolina State University, which is also where he fell in love with his future wife, Dr. Jacqueline Umstead. The two married on May 23, 1987. Together, they had two sons, Adriel Jr. and Jeriel. Dr. Johnson was an assistant professor at UAH, and was very passionate about teaching. He taught many science courses including biology, intro to the health professions, anatomy and physiology, cell biology, nutritional physiology, animal physiology, and medical terminology. He was passionate about preparing young people to be productive and successful. He was a faithful member of the Union Chapel Missionary Baptist Church, Dr. Johnson served as a faculty advisor for the Minority Graduate Student Association, Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Rho Chi Chapter, Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity UAH Chapter, Alpha Epsilon Delta Medical Careers Club. He was also the chairperson for the Pre-Professional Health Advisory Committee and involved in the Council of African American Faculty and was a chairperson for the Harold J. Wilson Scholarship Committee. Dr. Johnson received numerous awards and recognition. He was an assistant scoutmaster and loved the Atlanta Braves. In fact, baseball as a whole was always a part of his life whether he was playing, watching, or coaching. The University of Alabama Huntsville is located in Huntsville, Alabama. The campus sits on 505 acres and has six residence halls. The school offers around 88 degree programs and over 100 areas of study. In November of 1949, the University of Alabama approved the city of Huntsville's campaign to open an extension center in their town. Three months later, the school opened with 10 freshman-level classes being offered. The enrollment was 137 students, and tuition was $4 per credit hour. The school was an instant success and continued to grow. Huntsville, Alabama is located in northern Alabama and is the county seat of Madison County. Huntsville was founded in 1805 and became an incorporated town in 1811 and then an incorporated city in 1860. In 2010, the population was around 180,000, making it Alabama's fourth largest city. The total area is around 215 square miles. Huntsville is nicknamed the Rocket City because of the close ties with various U.S. space missions. They have hot and humid summers, while the winters are more mild. There are two main hospitals, Huntsville Hospital System and Crestwood Medical Center. The main economic influence is from aerospace and military technology. The city was named Playful City USA by the nonprofit organization called Kaboom five different times for their efforts to provide different play opportunities for children. Huntsville also offers many different parks and recreation areas for the city to enjoy. 
with 57 parks within the city limits and many golf courses. John Hunt Park is the city's largest park with over 400 acres of open space, tennis courts, soccer fields, and walking trails. Nicole was born on April 24, 1965 in Iowa City. In 1968, Nicole and her family moved to Braintree, Massachusetts. Her little brother was born shortly after their move. Braintree is a suburb just south of Boston and is an upper-to-middle-class neighborhood. She had the privilege of growing up in a loving family with a mom, dad, and brother and lived in a beautiful Victorian home. Growing up, Nicole always felt like she was being outshined by her brother. When she was in third grade, Nicole decided to take up the violin, which she became very accomplished at. After learning that Nicole was going to be playing the violin, her little brother begged their parents to let him play too, which created yet another sibling rivalry. She was an awkward teenager with a high IQ, but she lacked common sense and social skills. She always seemed scatterbrained and flustered. In 1983, after graduating from Braintree High School, Nicole went on to earn her bachelor's degree from Northeastern University in Boston. Her father was an art professor there, so it made sense for Nicole to attend. Her younger brother did as well. On December 6, 1986, both Nicole and her brother were home, on a break from school visiting their parents. There were recently several break-ins in the area and Nicole was going to have to be home alone for a period of time. She was nervous about being home by herself, and she asked to keep her brother's shotgun by the back door in case an intruder tried to enter. The night went on without anything happening. When her brother and mother came home, Nicole went to hand the shotgun over to her brother. The gun discharged, hitting her brother in the chest and killing him. A police investigation was done and the incident was ruled an accidental discharge. No one was ever charged for the death of Nicole's brother, at least not then. While attending Northeastern University, Nicole started participating in a Dungeons and Dragons club that was part of the school. There, she met her future husband. In the summer of 1989, she and her husband married, and then the newlywed couple moved to Cambridge, Massachusetts, so Nicole could attend Harvard University. Nicole ultimately earned a Ph.D. in genetics at Harvard University, and then she completed her postdoctoral work at Harvard School of Public Health. Then, for a short time, Nicole was an instructor of medicine at Harvard. Before being hired by UAH, she worked as a researcher at Boston's Children's Hospital, until she abruptly left one day. Her supervisor commented that she was unstable, depressed, and exhibited violent behavior. In 2003, she started as an assistant professor at University of Alabama, Huntsville. By this time, Nicole and her husband started a family and had three daughters and a son. After starting her new job at Huntsville, she appeared happy and excited to be there. She was funny and energetic. Students seemed to like her, and she was always very helpful. Her husband was working at Prodigy Biosystems. Nicole and her husband went on to invent an electronic Petri dish, which was also called an automated cell incubator. This invention kept cells alive longer so they could be more beneficial to scientists. The invention raised over a million dollars in research funding to UAH. 
Not long after the invention was created, Nicole started the process of applying for tenure. She was hoping that this cell incubator would guarantee her a spot. To say Nicole was devastated to learn she didn't receive the tenure she desperately wanted would be an understatement. Her husband later said that it absolutely broke her. While Nicole had always been a little odd and awkward, her oddities seemed to skyrocket after the tenure denial. She attempted to appeal the decision, to no avail. She just wasn't willing to accept the fact that she was denied. Nicole's volatile personality became worse. She began to yell, cuss, and act aggressively. Her neighbors said that the whole family was belligerent and confrontational, but Nicole was definitely the worst of the bunch. Nicole's husband later said that she was never violent with him or their children, and she was a great mother. Though she was high-strung, she always made sure their nutritional needs were met by buying organic and healthy foods. She also encouraged her children to play instruments and be creative. Being the primary breadwinner of the family, making about $83,000 a year, the thought of losing her job made Nicole very stressed. Before the shooting, Nicole even confided to a friend, saying she was starting to hallucinate and was under a lot of stress. Was this a way to start planning an insanity defense? Because she knew the actions she would later commit? We will never know. On the day of the attack, Nicole was immediately suspended without pay. While she was incarcerated, she received a letter from the Dean of the College of Sciences advising her that she had been terminated, effective February 12, 2010. The letter was dated February 26th. After she was arrested and put into the back of the patrol car, she was lodged at Madison County Jail. She was charged with one count of capital murder and three counts of attempted murder. Initially, the prosecuting attorney was going to seek the death penalty. However, family members of the victims petitioned against the death penalty. They didn't want to have to go through the hardship of an entire trial, and they learned that Nicole actually wanted the death penalty and didn't want to live anymore. The victims were not about to give her exactly what she wanted. The prosecutors agreed to drop the death penalty if Nicole would plead guilty to all charges and that she wouldn't appeal the case. If you are charged with a capital crime in the state of Alabama, a jury trial of some sort is required. On September 24, 2012, a mini-trial was held so the jury could recommend a sentence that should be handed down to Nicole. During the trial, Nicole sat emotionless until the prosecutor put crime scene photos on the big screen for the jury to see. This is when Nicole put her head on the defense table and covered her head with her arms. After all the testimony presented, the jury began to deliberate. Less than 30 minutes later, they came back with a guilty verdict and recommended she be sentenced to life without the possibility of parole, which is exactly what the judge sentenced her to. While Nicole was incarcerated, she started seeing a psychiatrist who began treating her for paranoid schizophrenia. While a diagnosis of paranoid schizophrenia was never actually released, Nicole did claim she was hearing voices and having hallucinations, which are two common traits. As stated earlier, Nicole killed her brother by accidental discharge back in 1986. The prosecutors in Massachusetts decided to reopen the case and take a closer look. After a more thorough investigation, the prosecutors brought the case in front of the grand jury, and she was indicted for murdering her brother. The grand jury is indicted for the murder in the first degree of her brother, Seth.
Two days after the indictment, Nicole took the razor out of a safety razor in the jail and slit her wrists in an attempt to commit suicide. The attempt was unsuccessful, and Nicole survived. Since Nicole was already serving life in prison without the possibility of parole, the prosecutors in Massachusetts decided not to go forward with the case. This would avoid putting the family through a trial. In 2015, five years after the shooting, Nicole finally apologized to the victims and their families, as well as her own family. It took five years, but Nicole finally took responsibility for the gruesome crime she committed. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Active Shooter, the podcast. Remember, if you see something, say something. There's no telling how many lives you may be saving. A huge thank you to Darren Curtis, who composed some of the music used in this episode. Check him out at darrencurtismusic.com. D-A-R-R-E-N-C-U-R-T-I-S music.com Active shooter reports of an active shooter active shooter active shooter of mass casualty incidents Make sure to check us out on social media we have a discussion group on Facebook just search for active shooter the podcast discussion group you can also find us on Instagram at active the podcast and Twitter at podcast active for just one dollar a month you can get access to ad free episodes early release episodes when available and a shout out on the show just go to patreon.com forward slash active the podcast thank you and be safe Right now, switch your family to T-Mobile and get four lines for $25 a line with AutoPay and 5G access included on America's largest 5G network. So don't wait. Get unlimited and nationwide 5G access for the whole family for just $25 a line. Visit a T-Mobile store or T-Mobile.com today. Plus taxes and fees. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using over 50 gigs a month due to data prioritization. Video at 480p. Unlimited while on our network. Qualifying credit for plus lines required. Capable device required for 5G. Coverage not available in some areas. Some uses may require certain features. See T-Mobile.com.